Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Today, we will be talking with Dr. Jennifer Lamb-Racklin. Jen, welcome to Healthful Woman. Hi, Nadine. It's great to have you here. So Jen was super excited about coming on and talking about her life and everything about her. She just loves to talk about herself. That's what that's what you said earlier, right? Exactly. That's, yeah. that's uh, what I tell people all the time. I love talking about myself. <laughs> Excellent. So Jen, you're a maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing at MFM Associates and at Carnegie Imaging for Women. We've been working together for many years now. Mm -hmm. How did you get into medicine in the first place? That's an interesting question. I actually didn't think that I was going to go into medicine. I was kind of like the typical immigrant family Chinese nerd. I thought I was going to go into organic chemistry. Organic chemistry. And be a doctorate. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. Most of us, for those who don't know, organic organic chemistry is like the most dreadful course that people yes, have to take I, I in, in pre-med. <laughs> and Janet, you're just loving it. So you're I in organic it. chemistry. Yes. Okay. And so you thought you're going into organic chemistry. And then what made you switch? So I was working in a like a translational research lab, organic chemistry base, obviously. And we were working with Taxol, which is a chemotherapy agent and creating new molecules to new chemotherapy agents and you know just working in the lab all day you kind of not never see the the application of of the the research that you do and you can spend the entire lifetime doing it right even though it's called a translational (laughs) lab translational lab which which by definition means it's supposed to apply to humans right so i decided to do i think a volunteer work at the bellevue er just to kind of see the other side, the, the clinical side, where where all the medicine is being used, and and just really fell in love with medicine. So, changed my path a little bit in, in sophomore year of college. And so this was during college doing research, and then you switch and you became pre med. Mm-hmm. And when you when you made that switch from maybe a scientist, you know, a PhD in organic chemistry, towards something a little more clinical. Did you have hesitation after you started or was it one of these things where like, oh, this is amazing. I'm definitely doing this. I fell in love with it, actually. So, so I mean, pre-med is, is a little different because you don't really do the clinical application. I would say the first two years of medical school is also you don't interact as much with the patient. So it's a lot of just studying and sitting in lecture and and little bo- more boring. But third year of medical school where you actually do your clinical rotations, that's when, you know, I... It was just amazing. I think it, there wasn't a one clinical rotation that I didn't like. And I think choosing a profession, a specialty afterwards was the hard part because I didn't, I liked everything. So Right. It's unfortunate that there was no clinical rotations in organic chemistry. Yeah, no. Because that, that would have done everything. Now, what did your... What did your family think about that decision to to go into medicine? Are there doctors in your family? So there are no doctors in my family. And after they watched me go through the the years of training. There are no more. There are no more doctors <laughs> in my family. You know, as I said, we're immigrant family. So my parents owned the typical Chinese takeout restaurant. And mm-hmm. my they brother, came here as adults? Your parents or children? They came here as like. My dad came as an adolescent, mm-hmm. and then my mom came when she married him and mm-hmm. when she was they were like eighteen, so they were pretty quite young. okay. Um, and so they own a slew of Chinese restaurants, and that's how we grew up. My brothers are engineers and architects, and my sister's a lawyer. so <laughs> no one else in medicine, right. But I mean, they must be so 
super proud of all you guys. I mean, I look at so. look at I, how educated <laughs> and accomplished you all are. I think so. I mean, they have their own ways of not telling us that they're proud of us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but I, I think that, you know, you know, we kind of fulfill their dreams for for why they want to be in the US. So that is good. that's really fantastic. <laughs> and so so you're in medicine, you're in medical school and you're loving everything, which I which I think is common. A yeah. lot of people, I really, I basically loved every rotation, maybe one or two. I didn't, you know, like that much. Uh, so, how did you make the decision to go into OBGYN? Um, that was also interesting because it was my first clinical rotation, and actually didn't think I was going to OB at all. And I was like, oh, good, I get to get it out of the way. But it was a great rotation. It was a actually a good combination of all the different specialties. So medicine, surgery, emergency medicine, you know, a lot of critical thinking, and then radiology, right? We do ultrasounds all day. So for someone who actually likes all your clinical rotation, it's actually a great field. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I had I had literally the exact same experience as yeah. you. I did OBGYN first and right away, I was like, wow, this is awesome. And for the same reasons, because I, I love sort of the medicine aspect, the, the thinking, diagnosing, sort of what is going on underneath. I love the emergency medicine aspect. We have to make decisions quickly. What's going on? What's going on? You know, solve it fast because time, you know, time is of essence. The idea that you get to operate as well and and do surgery and, you know, be involved in operations. And then also there's so much ancillary, like you said, with either whether it's imaging or whether it's counseling or all of this stuff. It, and it really is all a part of OBGYN. And so it is a it is a great field for people who like to do a lot of different things. And did you consider anything else very strongly? Very strongly, I thought of trauma surgery and and internal medicine, which are like the two opposite ends yeah. of the spectrum. But I, right. I think it's the I, thing I like ice cream or a corned beef sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but I always kept going back to I really enjoyed my OB rotation. And, and I did it, you know, at, at Kings County. So it was an experience. Yeah, but I guess it, it really is sort of the balance between medicine and trauma surgery. Yeah. It's the same mm-hmm. concept. Trauma surgery is something happens, fix it fast, frequently something that you need to use your hands. Right. And medicine is sit down, talk, think, examine, order tests, figure out, talk about <laughs> it again. And we do both. We yes. really have both of those aspects in our career, particularly with maternal fetal medicine. We get, I guess, maybe I guess more of both. We get a little more of the thinking part, intellectual part, uh, and maybe not as much of the trauma surgery part, but a lot more of their hands doing procedures and doing ultrasound. Again, these are all a lot of dexterities required to do some of these things. And so you decided to go to OBGYN. That's when we met, actually, when you yes, were a resident. As a resident, yes. Those were our first uh, <laughs> wonderful interactions together at Beth Israel Hospital when you were uh, a superstar resident. And I was some guy moonlighting coming in periodically <laughs> who nobody knew. Who was that guy? Oh, no, I'm here every third weekend. That was That's true. <laughs> I had nothing to do with Beth Israel Hospital other than every third weekend I would take call for a practice. And so I would show up and residents like, what? I'd be like, oh, yeah, I work with Dr. Tepper. They're like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Welcome. He has an ID. I guess he belongs here. Right. <laughs> And from there, how did you decide to go into maternal fetal medicine? By the time I was applying for an OBGYN residency, I actually had the mindset that I would most likely wind up wanting to do maternal fetal medicine because out of the entire, like, I think it was six week or eight week rotation for OB, I just 
the most memorable part was really when I was doing the, in the ultrasound unit for, for two weeks and, and doing the high-risk consults. And, and that was what made me want to do OB. And then I knew I was going to head towards a MFM fellowship. Right. And your fellowship that you did was very research yes. heavy. I mean, different fellowships have different flavors to them. All of them you learn right. sort of there's like the basic core that ever, you have to learn some ultrasound and learn some high risk stuff. And But each has their own personality or flavor. And you were at an NIH site, right? right? So so explain it to our listeners what, what that means exactly. <laughs> it is very academic. Uh, it does have, you know, it is a brand, the perinatal research branch of the NICHD. So it has a lot of funding. So it's very impressive to be there and right. just and this watching, was in Michigan. It, this is in Michigan in Detroit and just be there and just watching, you know, we literally, our offices are adjacent to this massive research lab that has millions of samples related to pregnancy and they're just running assays and thinking of like research questions and then like, like let me, let me pull up all the patients we've had in the last 10 years with preeclampsia pregnancy and I want to test their blood sample from when they were 18 weeks and we could have hundreds of samples there and it's just, you know, just amazing the the type of research questions you can ask and and the, the an answer. Right. And it was a big fellow. There was a lot of you there, right? There were I think nine of us. That's a big that's a big fellowship because it's a three year fellowship. So three a year is a busy fellowship. And then you also had a lot of PhD students. We have tons of PhD students. We have a lot of international research fellows that go off and and really have done amazing jobs in in kind of the field of MFM too. So so there's there's a, a good number of us. We kind of joke around that there's, you know, we're the hospital that we worked in was Hutzel and there's like Hutzel East, which would be CHOP because there's a bunch of us at CHOP and then Hutzel South, which is at Houston because there's a bunch of us in Houston and then Hutzel West, which is UC San Francisco, which is like a bunch of us there. So we kind of spread out and the, throughout the country. Right. And when you went there, did you think you were going to be doing a career more related to research and basic science? Because I mean, you had the initial, you know, yeah. basic science thing and then you went to a program that was very heavy with research and basic science, or did it just sort of work out that way? I think it worked out that way. I mean, I wanted exposure to, for the the really academic, really research side of things, just to kind of see if that's a, a path that I want to do. If you're just research heavy, you're, you just kind of miss the clinical aspect. And I think I, I'm still a clinician at heart, and I just love seeing patients and and I can apply what I have learned from the research to patient care. And I and and I didn't think that after the fellowship I was going to continue doing quite the same as what I did in fellowship. Right. Because when you finish fellowship, which also is a very, very busy clinical fellowship. I <laughs> yes. mean you guys did a ton of clinical work. You came and worked with us, which is pretty much all clinical. And so and when you start you're you're on the labor floor you're mm-hmm. doing deliveries. You're in the office doing consultations and prenatal care. You're doing ultrasound and procedures. And was it a shock to your system to go back to full <laughs> clinical care? Was it a relief to your system? Or was it sort of just the, the transition you expected always? I think at that time it was a relief. I was really missing doing almost 100% clinical care and, and, and miss kind of the interaction and, and the longevity you have with the patient. So it's a little different in fellowship where, yeah, we do see a lot of patients, but never, nobody really felt like it was my patient. It was really just the, the entire fellowship's patient, right? Like the hospital patients. Coming here, they're, 
you know, I, there are patients that I feel like, oh, I, you know, even though we're group practice, I, I know them really well. I know their story. I've seen them many times during their pregnancy. And then even having a chance to deliver them was, was great. It was kind of like, you know, I missed this, you know, I really didn't have that opportunity, whether it was in residency or in fellowship to, to really follow someone through the pregnancy from their first visit to their delivery. Right. And I think patients also have a similar experience and it's, it's different in each practice type, but you know, those who are followed in sort of a larger clinic in a hospital, it's very difficult for them to sort of know who their doctor is. And there's someone different every time. And again, there's pluses and minuses to that. I'm not you know saying it in a negative way. And for in our practice, we're sort of in the middle of that. We're not very small. We're not very big. And for some people, they really do get an opportunity, like you said, to to meet someone and know them and really get to know their story and to have them deliver you or whatever it is. And it's a really great experience for everybody involved mm-hmm. uh, in, in that sense. And I guess it was recently or the past couple of years you're now doing principally ultrasound, right? right? And <laughs> diabetes, which we'll get to. <laughs> yeah. So, and and how has that been? I mean, I, I know from our end, it's been unbelievable. Jen is, <laughs> Jen is a terrific, terrific expert in ultrasound and ultrasound and pregnancy and really pioneered and developed our own fetal echocardiography program, which is, you know, special ultrasound of the baby's heart. That's something that, you know, you sort of evolved into because when you started your ultrasound a couple of days a week and now it's you know four Most or five days, days yeah. a week mm-hmm. and doing pretty advanced stuff how has that how has that transition been for you or it's been a very good transition I mean right now I'm very comfortable with what I'm doing I think it took about a year to really get over not doing deliveries and because I really did actually really thoroughly enjoy doing deliveries and and to, to have to tell patients I don't I'm not going to be delivering you. I don't do deliveries. I can't deliver your second baby. That was that was a very hard transition. But now I would say I'm very comfortable in my role as as primarily as a, as a consultant as doing ultrasounds. Like I, I mean, that's what I love. Like I love prenatal diagnosis. I like doing prenatal diagnostic procedures and also just being a consultant and helping patients through maybe a very, very tough pregnancy. And you know, our roles are reversed. Where yeah, I don't get to deliver them, but I still get to follow them throughout the pregnancy and really seeing that they have a healthy outcome for both mom and the baby. And that's very important to me too. Right. In the US, some of the, some MFMs do deliver, some don't. The ones who deliver, some of them don't do ultrasound. They sort of just focus on labor and delivering pregnancy. And there really is a mix between all types of MFMs. And definitely I can see why that transition would be possibly difficult going from doing deliveries to not doing them. Certainly it's a little bit easier on your schedule at nights, but it's it can be difficult for the reasons that you said. But on the flip side, one of the nice things is when the ultrasound unit or the prenatal diagnosis center has some continuity there, that you have someone who's there, you know, every day or nearly every day. Then when people come in there, they see a familiar face, they see someone who knows their story. And you know, for someone who's coming once or twice in a pregnancy, it doesn't make a big difference. But for the more complicated situations, sometimes people are coming every week, twice a week, and making big decisions every time. And it's really nice for them to see you and to know that you're there and you care about them, you know what's going on. And I think that I would agree it probably diminished a little bit during the delivery time, that experience, but it must have really enhanced your time in ultrasound and, and developing those bonds compared to just sort of covering a day here and there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's been 
you know, now it's, I, I love it. Like I, I do feel like there are, even though a lot of patients are, might be referral patients, they're not patients that I, you know, particularly are from our practice, but it's, you know, especially if it's a tough pregnancy, something's quote going wrong and I get to follow them on either a weekly basis or twice weekly basis. And, and I still feel like I'm a very important part of their pregnancy and, and helping to make sure that, you know, everything's a good outcome in the end. And that, that makes me feel good. And how did you get interested in fetal echocardiography? Again, the <laughs> ultrasound of the baby's heart. Because that's uh, MFMs do it uh, to different degrees, but it's something that you always seem to have a passion for. And I mean, you're the one teaching us you know, everything and how to do it and what to do and sending around images and helping our sonographers. Where did that develop? Um, I mean, develop in fellowship, actually. I think uh, as a fellowship program, we... Fetal echo was so ingrained in our training, whether it was the clinical side or the research side. I mean, we have on both sides, we had really good mentors for, for fetal echo. And I think at that time, we, I, I just thought that that was the norm for, for, for all fellows and all fellowship programs. And then just coming out of fellowship, I realized that that's something that's very unique to our training program where we really get a good exposure to to understanding the fetal heart and then understanding abnormality what's abnormal what's you know what's normal and then also treatment courses um, for me I find that the heart is very logical and and things are connected a certain way there's a right way and there's a wrong way and and like you know, there's a very systematic approach to looking at it and and it just comes very naturally it's like an organic chemistry <laughs> compound <laughs> exactly that carbon that carbon's <laughs> got to have the right you know hydroxyl attached to it or whatever it is <laughs> it's you know what happens with fetal imaging is in the in the US fetal imaging is either done by maternal fetal medicine specialists uh, so we do the imaging for pregnant women of their babies in some places, it's done by radiologists who get training. But when you're talking about the fetal heart, it's interesting because some of it is done by the maternal fetal medicine specialists. Again, some of it is done by general radiologists, and some of it is done by pediatric cardiologists. So these are pediatricians who specialize in cardiology, and part of cardiology training in general and for pediatric involves ultrasound. And so what happens is, you know, and it's a lot of it's just based on where you are and where you train and where the culture is. And so in some fellowships, all of the echo, the fetal echoes are done by the pediatric cardiologists. And then if the maternal fetal medicine fellows want to learn how to do it, they have to basically go into the pediatric cardiology unit and observe or this and different programs at different training. So I had that where I was training at Cornell. They had amazing world-class pediatric cardiologists doing echoes. I mean, just amazing people. And we had an opportunity to go in and learn from them. And so we learned a ton about fetal circulation and cardiology and all these things, but it wasn't as much hands-on uh, potentially. And in other fellowships, you're really doing it yourself and learning either from the MFMs or maybe pediatric cardio cardiologists coming to your unit. So like you said, a lot of people finish fellowship with different levels of, yeah. of comfort and competency and, and fetal echo specifically. So for me, I felt when I finished that I knew a lot about it, mm -hmm. meaning if I had a diagnosis, I could help counsel women and talk to them and you know go through it. But doing it myself, I guess for many things I could do, but some I didn't. And that's something I learned over my career uh, with help from you, obviously. 
and others just come out of fellowship and they're just all over it. And it's just amazing. Yeah, for us, I mean, it was great because we, for the fellowship, you know, there's, a, you know, as, as we said our, previously, there's a big research component and, and I, you know, part of it is bench work research, but it's also ultrasound research. They have a huge unit, five or six rooms running, which is all ultrasounds and people enroll in these studies to get their prenatal care. But also they get scans every every single time that they come for their prenatal care. So from the research side, we did a lot of kind of advanced fetal echo, things that we might not be using clinically right now, but, you know, really taking use of the 4D technology and function of the heart and finding new technology, new ultrasound skills, new ways of looking at the heart and diagnoses. And then in the clinical side, we do all the fetal echoes like for a clinical. So, and then we do a lot of hands-on there too. And then I think the benefit of what we did in fellowship is that we also spoke to the, we had a great pediatric cardiology team and they would rotate with us. We would rotate with them and we had joint conferences at least once a week. So, so to me, that was what a norm a fellowship would be, you get a lot of exposure to, to ECHO. We're so fortunate to have, number one, to have world-class pediatric cardiologists and fetal ECHO experts at our institution uh, at Mount Sinai. And we're also fortunate that we have such a good relationship with them uh, professionally, personally. I mean, we all know each other. Again, we talk about cases all the time together. And I think that's really the ideal because for most women, they're not going to see a pediatric cardiologist during their pregnancy you know, generally they're going to see one of us and we're going to do their ultrasound. And if we have the capability to do these screening echocardiograms, which is essentially, you know, to look at the structure of the heart, to look at the function of the heart, if everything looks normal, there's really no need there to see a pediatric cardiologist at any point. If there is a concern, either it's something very straightforward where we know what to do and we'll tell them, you know, they may or may not need to see the pediatric cardiologist during pregnancy or after delivery. And then for more complex situations where either we're not quite sure what it is or we are sure what it is, we still work with them because ultimately they're going to be the ones taking care of the baby after birth. So even if we're certain what the diagnosis is and even what the prognosis is, we could tell the patient We'll say, you know what? It's really a great idea to meet with the pediatric cardiologist now when you're pregnant. They'll repeat the ultrasound, tell you their impression, tell you what their expectation is for the baby. Will he or she need treatment? Will he or she need surgery? If so, what are the expected outcomes, survival rates, you know, long-term care? And so that way, when time of delivery comes, you know, each family knows what to expect with their baby. Do we need something right after birth? Do we not need something right after birth? Who needs to see the baby? And everything is a little more more seamless, I would say, in that sense. I think it makes it less scary also for patients. And and it's also like a way of establishing relationships with, with the pediatric cardiologist, right? Like, you know, in, instead of diagnosing and then sending the, the child to a pediatric cardiologist the moment the baby's delivered, you've already met the cardiologist probably a few times during the pregnancy and you've established a relationship with them so that when after delivery, it's not as scary to know what's coming up and also know the doctor that's that's seeing your child. Yeah. And they know and they get to know the baby yeah. already because mm-hmm. they've already scanned right. the baby when as a fetus and say, like, okay, I know what to expect. I know what we're looking for. And we sort of have a, a baseline of what's going on. I mean, I would say, I mean, I speak to one of the pediatric cardiologists I mean, uh, once a week, <laughs> twice a week, I mean, all the time, yeah. uh, we're talking about cases back and forth. And also it works on the flip side frequently, they'll be referred 
a patient, let's say from an outside center saying, hey, we think there's an issue with the baby and they send them into Mount Sinai and they scan them and they say, yeah, this, you know, this baby has A, B, and C and now the baby has to deliver at Mount Sinai, but they don't do deliveries. So then they send the patient to us to take care of them for the pregnancy. And so actually the the relationship is is definitely bi-directional. We see a lot of patients and then refer them to the pediatric cardiologist and they see a lot of patients and refer them to us. And it just is another way that strengthened that relationship. And it's one of the successes, I would say, in collaborative care for pregnant women, just because there's a higher volume of it. And so it's easier to develop these relationships. Some of the other conditions are more rare and you don't have as much opportunity to interact with some of the pediatric subspecialists. And it's it's obviously cordial and collegial and it's it's helpful, but this is probably our strongest relationship with a pediatric subspecialty. The other thing that Jen does a lot of now is managing our gestational diabetes program. And I know that that's a lot of your time (laughs) and effort. And we're not going to spend this podcast talking about gestational diabetes specifically, but I'm just curious, is that something that you just volunteered for because you're a good soul? Or did you always have a specific (laughs) interest in gestational diabetes? Or is this something else you did research it? You're definitely a good soul for doing it. So that is, you know, much appreciated. Um, I did it for many reasons. I actually do very much enjoy managing diabetes in general. And then gestational diabetes is, is, you know, whether they they come in with pre-gestational diabetes, meaning diabetes outside of pregnancy or just gestational diabetes, I I do really enjoy managing diabetics. And and I think that's the the internal medicine side of me where it's being very much utilized in, in, in that aspect. So I like that. And then I think our program is great for patients because, you know, I feel like they have constant communication with us and and especially with, you know, we have a nutritionist that that can provide them with, you know, really just daily feedbacks on, you know, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? And and then from my aspect is, you know, is diet enough or is activity monitoring enough or, or do we have to start thinking about doing, you know, starting meds and, and or not and then adjusting their medication? And it, it's very rewarding for me like, to see that, you know, these patients kind of having a, preg- a good pregnancy outcome and, and responding to whatever treatment, whether it's it's diet or activity versus medication. Right. And the program is, is quite impressive. I mean, at any given time, you have, what, 50 to 100 women? Yeah, right now we're in the 80s, as high as like, you know, 110 to 120 patients. Right. And these, because there's there's always new people being diagnosed. And and once they deliver, they sort of come up the program and go to, you know, whoever was taking care of them before. Yeah. But there's a lot of people to keep track of, obviously, and a lot of people who are emailing and calling and sending in their finger stick logs. And Jen has just totally revolutionized the program with help from others, obviously, <laughs> yes, but yeah. uh, but just it's it's been such a help to the patients that they have an expert who they can turn to and get communication from and send their information to and just have that constant feedback, like you said, and not waiting a week or two to get a result. There's a lot of real-time monitoring. And I think it's been, number one, it has helped their care to help optimize their outcomes, but Also, I think it really has reduced a lot of the anxiety and a lot of the stigma and a lot of the concerns that people have over gestational diabetes that becomes much more of like, okay, we're just going to manage it and here's what we're going to do as opposed to the the fear of what's going to be. Yeah, it it makes it more user-friendly, less 
scary as a, like a medical quote diagnosis, right? Uh, you have people that, that can actually talk to you like a person. And, and I, I think that feedback is very important. I think, you know, having been on the other end where, you know, I've been a patient, I've had my kids, right? I think sometimes you can kind of get lost as a patient in, in terms of, okay, what's the next step? I kind of know what I'm doing just because of, you know, I'm in MFM and I'm in OB, but um, I, I don't ever want a patient to feel like they don't have someone they can go to or that they have to wait for a next visit to to ask us a question, you know, like I like to, to be able to communicate with them. It's so interesting. I was thinking when you said that it's, it's really the same thing as being an ultrasound. It's the same concept. I mean, we're, we're getting an insight as to what's going on with their baby at a given time in pregnancy, but so much of it is about the communication. You know, you could be an expert at getting images and writing up a report and sending to somebody, but if you don't develop a system where you can talk to the patient about it and give her an opportunity to ask questions and you know get feedback and whatnot, it can be a very scary experience. And generally, our goal is to make it reassuring, not the opposite. And so much of that is is not just you know your brain and how much you know and how much you can figure things out, but it's how do you just communicate back and forth. And whether it's a diabetes program, whether it's ultrasound or anything in medicine, that aspect changes the whole tenor of the visit and of the pregnancy from one that's potentially very anxiety provoking to one that's hopefully not anxiety provoking at all, or at least right. less anxiety provoking. <laughs> yes. Some things uh, genuinely are, you know, are, are difficult and challenging, but if you can, we can reduce it to the bare minimum, that's, that's obviously ideal. Right. I agree. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So Dr. Lamb, Jen, ultrasound expert, echocardiography expert, organic chemistry expert, <laughs> gestational diabetes expert. Thank you so much for coming on Healthful Woman. We really appreciate it. We look forward to having you on for many other podcasts in the future. It's been great. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.